0: y'all welcome back to but not all at once the podcast for people who will eat a random sunday dinner off of their wedding china no holds barred they might even encourage you to just live a little life's too short Uh, but they definitely own a half dozen beautiful moleskin leather bound journals that are just too pretty to write in because what if the first page is worthless Um, or you mess up and you can't put white out in it or scratch it out. And erasable pens were only a thing in middle school. And you know, it's very complicated and I should probably take this discussion to my counselor. But my point is if you are both hypocritical um, and a little bit of a perfectionist, you are welcome here. And if you are a fully realized whole person, who can both write in a journal willy-nilly and eat a Friday evening pizza buffet on their favorite Christmas china, then I applaud you. And thank you for being here. And in fact, encourage you to send me your tips. I'm your host, Anne Smith. And today I'm speaking with Abby Banks. You may be familiar with her little boy, Wyatt. He has quite the following online. He's someone who is dealing with the long-term effects of transverse myelitis. He went to bed one night, a completely healthy baby, and woke up a puzzle, a mystery that his parents and his medical team had to unravel. In the eight years since his diagnosis, his mom has struggled with whether or not they're doing enough. Was the timeline quick enough? Have they pursued aggressive treatment and therapies? Are they making the right decisions? They had a host of family medical issues and all kinds of heartache lining the road. But instead of being a sad story, this is one of incredible joy of finding hope and encouragement right where you are, even if you don't know if your miracle is ever coming, of enjoying what you're capable of and the people who love you as they are. I'm so delighted to let you meet Abby and by extension, her son Wyatt. And I encourage you to click the link in our show notes to learn more about Wyatt and his family as they move forward, um, breaking records, changing expectations, following the plan as it unfolds before them. Whether or not you or someone in your home has challenges health-wise or in any other facet of your life, you will be inspired to live a little bit differently because of the tenacity and the optimism of a little boy named Wyatt. So let's hear about him. Abby Banks, I'm so excited to have you on but not all at once. This is a story that you very bravely offered to tell. um, And I know that that's something that not everyone can do wants to do is able to do. So I would love for you to introduce yourself to our listeners and tell us about your family before we jump into your story.
1: Great. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here and share a little bit about our family story and, and our life and what it looks like. I live in Greenwood, South Carolina. Um, again, my name is Abby Banks. Um, my husband Jason and I have been married for almost nineteen years, and I find that hard to believe. But that's just <laughs> Up on you? Yeah, I, I still think I still think I'm 25, and I'm not even close. So <laughs> that's that's just part of it. Um, yeah. Our my son is 15 this summer. Jay, our oldest, is going to turn 15 this summer, and I, I feel like that was just yesterday for me. So that's hard to. Hard to believe. Uh, we also have a, a daughter, Austin, who is ten years old, and our youngest, Wyatt, is eight. And we are getting ready to finish up the second grade and fourth grade and finish ninth
0: grade. So it's been a little, a little crazy here. Yeah, it's been a little, a little crazy. I guess the last year or so for everyone, but I imagine those particular ages, especially um, with different school schedules and different needs, and you know, just being afraid to breathe air and touch anything was probably a challenge for y'all. So not to skip ahead in the story, you and Jason were married, you had your first two children, were those healthy, typical, normal pregnancies and babyhood experiences? We had a lot of trouble having our first two. So we, you know, infertility
1: Mm -hmm. was part of our struggle. So with Jay and Austin, that was just part of it. But they were both very healthy, you know, no issues with pregnancy or anything like that. And we were never people who expected that our kids were going to be healthy. We just very much held our breath until we had that anatomy scan and they said everything was going to be okay. Our life did get a little crazy the day that Austin was born. My husband jokes he was at the Masters the day before Austin was born, and he was sitting with a friend. That's a
0: risky game.
1: Yeah, right. Literally, he had to call me. You know, they've got those little the phones because you're not allowed to bring your phone in. And he would call right? me from those little phone booths. and he'd say, "I'm just checking to make sure
0: that you that you you're haven't not ha-. given birth to my baby." Yet. Correct. Yeah, he would.
1: He'd he'd call and say, "I'm just making sure you haven't had the baby yet." But it's funny because that was that was his birthday, and he said, I-, "I want to go," and I was like, "Just go." And we were we we knew we were having her the next day. We were scheduled for induction on the 11th. And he said he was sitting with his friend. He said, I just want to sit here and rest because I know my life is going to go crazy tomorrow. I know it's just not going to be the same. And he said it just kind of offhandedly, but sure enough, things just went a little haywire the next day. Austin was fine. Birth delivery was fine, but the day that Austin was born, my mother-in-law, who already had Alzheimer's, was diagnosed with a large bowel obstruction, um, which oh, no. turned which turned into just a huge colostomy. She was in the hospital for over a month and just came home with you know a lot of IV antibiotics and care. And we moved in with Jason's parents to help care for her. So you know, taking care of her and. and Being there for Austin at the same time was kind of my job. So middle of the night nursing came into, you know, she had a pick line. So we were changing IVs in the middle of the night. Mm. And, you know, one of the funny things that I think about is because we struggled with infertility, I remember I was disappointed when I found out that Austin was just a one baby. You know, I really (laughs) wanted twins because I thought we're never going through this again. But then I can remember as I was taking care of Jason's mom, I was just thinking, thank you, Lord, for not giving me twins because there's no way that I could have physically handled this. You know, I mean, it's teaching like thank somebody God for
0: unanswered prayers, yes, kind of moment, right,
1: right? Because I mean, we were trying. I mean, she had Alzheimer's and she had a colostomy, and mm-hmm. I did not go into nursing because I didn't want to deal with that kind of thing. And that's just what what life had kind of given us. We finally got her where we were comfortable, where it wasn't you know as scary as it should have been, and we we were a little comfortable with with her care. So it was nine months after that she got the colostomy. My husband
0: had a perforated bowel and he ended up with a colostomy. Yeah. So he ended up with He did deserve that day of the masters. Yeah.
1: So like, like literally it was just, just a a crazy thing. And Jason was in the hospital for a week. I just started feeling like super sick. I was like, oh my gosh, all this stress is getting to me. Of course we come home and I was like, uh, well maybe I'll take a pregnancy test. Like, I, I don't think it's that, but we've been in the hospital for a week. I mean, I mean. sure enough, the day we come home, Jason's got a colostomy after a week in the hospital with an unexpected perforated bowel. I found out I was pregnant with Wyatt, who we never thought we could have on our own without medical intervention. So I, I still remember that. He just felt like just this gift after this season of craziness. But trying to tell Jason, I mean, he's all doped up on like nine million painkillers. And he had no idea what I was trying to say. <laughs> I'm sure it
0: was hard enough to process stone cold sober with no drugs in your system. I mean, that's a pretty shocking Mm. miracle. Yeah,
1: yeah, we were just thrilled to death. Um, And also we were like, Oh, my gosh, you know what, how are we going to handle all of this? Jason's dad traveled a lot. So we, we did take care of his mom a lot. Thankfully, Jason was able to have his his colostomy reversed like six months later. So before Wyatt was born, Jason had had the reversal surgery. I mean, our kids don't even really remember that time that he was sick. Our oldest probably does. But, you know, Austin has no clue and why it wasn't even born for it. So um, so that was great. It felt like that we had kind of gotten through that storm. And then, you know, here Mm -hmm. comes Wyatt. And he was he was the perfect third child. I I think sometimes he just took a nap because I look tired. I feel like it was just he was just such a good uh, such a good little baby. And he was born in September And how old was Austin at this time? She is 17 months older than Wyatt. So, And Jay is in first grade, I suppose. Yeah, he was first grade.
0: So you knew from the start that you were going to have your hands full regardless?
1: Yes. Yes. And I I think I kind of, you know, I wanted that. I was really excited to have two that were close together because Mm -hmm. I had wanted Jay and I wanted Jay and Austin to be closer together, but that's not the way that, that it worked out. I was super excited. I was also happy that Austin was the only girl because I just I felt like she didn't get to be the baby very long because <laughs> because here came Wyatt. So I thought it was good that she you know had the, had the girl in the middle and and Wyatt was the baby and things were going. Things were going fine, and we thought that we had kind of gotten over the hump. And then that spring, I noticed I noticed a lump in my throat when I swallowed. I joked with Jason. I was like, I, I, sw- I noticed it, you know, just taking a sip of water in the mirror, and I could see something move in my throat. And I asked Jason, I was like, uh, Did you have you seen this before? Do you know what that is? And he watched me swallow and he's like, that has not been there. I would have noticed it on like the first date because it looked like just like an Adam's apple, you know, on my neck. Like it was like, um, right. Right. you know, this is <laughs> he's like, no, that has not always been there um, So to speed that up. But uh, I ended up being diagnosed with thyroid cancer. And sort of at the same time as this was going on, Austin had a hernia, which in the big scheme of things is nothing, but at the time I had not had a child with a surgery. It's still so your baby. Sure. Yes, yeah. I was I was worried about her having this hernia surgery and her doctor was real sweet and rushed her hernia surgery so that it could be done before I had my thyroid out so you know that was coming you know it was all fine and I mean and I knew that thyroid cancer I always tell people I, I feel like it was like baby cancer I mean you don't do chemo or anything like that for it and I was very just very blessed that I knew it was a, you know a cancer that could be taken care of without a whole lot of drama so I wasn't scared long term what it was going to do it was more just the um, the inconvenience of, of it all the and, and,
0: of managing yeah, a family yeah.
1: of five and all you've already yeah. gone through sure I think I had my thyroid surgery on, I want to say it was Monday, Um, had the surgery, came home on a Wednesday. My sister-in-law was supposed to watch my kids, but she ended up with a stomach virus. So the night that I came home from the hospital, I ended up with the kids back because my sister-in-law had a stomach virus and I still have the drain coming out of my neck. And we just noticed that night that Wyatt started acting funny. So again, this is just, we just come home. And he's about six months old at this point? Seven. He's seven months old. He he threw up just a little bit, but I thought maybe he was getting whatever stomach virus everybody else had. But then he didn't throw up again. And it's all of a sudden he just he started whining in a way that was just a different whimper. He wasn't moving a lot. He just hindsight being what it is. I, sh- you know, should have picked on some things quicker than we did. But, you know, I, I took, you know, the little mat that goes on the changing table that's kind of, you know, raised on each end. I put right. that um in our bed between Jason and I, because Jason was trying to take care of Wyatt. And he was like, something's, I I don't know, Abby, something's not right, but I, you know, I'm still on medicine. So he said, I just, I'm a little worried about him. And I said, well, let's, let's put him in between us. You know, I was a rule follower. So he was not going to sleep in the bed with us because that scared me to death. So I was like, well, just put him on this mat. You know, he won't, he won't be able to roll from side to side or anything. So he'll, he'll be safe there. Um, you know, so we did that and he just, he whimpered all night and just the oddest, I don't know, just a, just the craziest whimper. But he wasn't, you know, he wasn't moving. Um, he didn't vomit anymore. Um, and we, you know, just kept an eye on him. And we said, you know, we'll call the doctor in the morning. We'll see if he throws up again and kind of drifted off to sleep. And, and by the next morning, I was, you know, I had a doctor's appointment to go back and um, get the drain out of my neck. Um and when we woke Wyatt up that morning I remember you know I tried to put you know make him stand on my knees you know you know bounce him like you would right. you know how baby you bounce him on your knees and his legs were just little noodles and I, I just I remember I told Jason I said look Jason he just he's, he's so tired he's
0: pushing back right, with his little feet right
1: yeah. right and I'm thinking well he's so tired from being sick that he's not he's not standing um and I I, I remember I went to go get him dressed and I was holding him and his his little foot fell into the drawer. And I remember I like almost shut his toe in the drawer. And I remember mm. thinking, oh my, I mean, I just, one of those things that later on I went back and I thought, oh my gosh, you know, he had no control over anything, but I just, I didn't, I didn't catch it at the time. And, and why would that I,
0: ever cross your mind? Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I, I remember I was so worried. The reason I wanted my sister-in-law to watch why it is because I knew I was going to have that drain out of my neck when I came home and he used to grab, you know, at everything cause he was a baby, if he right. had a necklace, he was going to grab it. And I didn't, you know, I did not want him grabbing hold of, of that drain too, that was coming out of my neck. And he, of course, he never even, you know, never, ever reached for it. And, I, you know, I never had a thought about it, but we put him, made an appointment at the pediatrician, put him in his car seat, <clears throat> And we went to my doctor's appointment first, so literally got the drain out of my neck. Um, mm. And he he was still in this little car seat carrier, and they put um they put little steri strips on my neck. And it's funny they used the wrong glue and put glue that I was allergic to on my neck, and um so <laughs> I had to end up. <laughs> After Wyatt like was in the emergency, of errors. yeah, yeah. After Wyatt was in the emergency room, they called me back and they're like, "Could you come back and let us get that glue off and then put something else on?" So we I mean, just all the all the silly things. But I took we took Wyatt straight to his pediatrician's office, and by the time we got him to the pediatrician, when we took him out of the car seat, he was like a sack of potatoes. I mean, it was a different a, a different kid that we had put in the car seat just you know an hour before. Something had progressed, you know, super quickly. He couldn't raise his arms. He couldn't hold his head up. Um, the breathing had gotten worse. It was very much this belly breathing, just real strong, you know, with a stomach. And they looked at him and she said, um, you know, we, she called another doctor in and they looked at us and they said, you know, we don't, you know, it's, it's probably nothing and we don't want to alarm you, but why don't you go straight to the emergency room? You know, you can get there quicker than we could get EMS here. So of course we, you know, we drive over to the emergency room and I'm still not panicked at this point for any reason. Cause I just don't, I don't even have a concept of what could be possible uh, at the time. Mm-hmm. And he looked, I mean, he looked okay. I mean, I, I thought, well, he's got this virus. I mean, I had had a stomach virus like the week before, you know, and I just thought, well, he's just exhausted. Uh, maybe he's dehydrated. We'll get some fluids. I remembered my parents called to see how I was doing. And if I had got the drain out of my neck and I remember I was like, okay, Yes, I'm good. You know, but we're in the hospital with Wyatt, and they're like, w- you know, what? <laughs> it's like, no, it's 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 really fine. Um, you don't need to come, but of course, you know, they didn't listen, and they were, they were down from Greenville to Greenwood, and would seem like a, a second. <laughs> um, but but they just couldn't. You know, nobody had a clue, kind of what was going on with Wyatt, and they couldn't find anything. You know, nothing obvious, and you know, all these things that I remember hindsight is when they started an IV and they did a catheter, and he. He never moved. And I thought, gosh, this kid is just tough as nails, you know, because he's not moving. And I just, we had no right. no clue, no clue that he couldn't. We didn't understand that that was a possibility for him at all. So then we, um, we got admitted. Uh, they just, they told us they were going to watch him and observe him overnight and kind of see what would progress, but why it never got any better. We didn't see mm. any progress any progression. We didn't have any clue what was, what was going on. Um, They, you know, they didn't have any idea either what the deal was. We really felt like at at one point it turned into like an episode of house trying to just figure out, you know, what, what's going on with this kid.
0: Now, are you starting to panic with the lack of kind of a clear definitive, like, oh, this is a weird virus I saw last week and it'll be fine. Well, I, you know, I, I do have moments when I think back,
1: like, we did a CT scan and I realized, and my mom went down with me and I was like, I don't know what we're doing this for. And she looks at me and she's like, Abby, they think somebody shook him.
0: And I was like, what? (gasps) I mean, right. They're just, they're checking every possibility.
1: Yeah. I mean, we did a CT scan and the CT scan was, you know, obviously fine. And, you know, I had a moment of like, oh my gosh, well, you know, he's fine. You know, that's not it. But what, you know, I mean, those were little things that were like, oh, well, and then, I, mean, I think that was it. And once the t- CT scan came back to them, it was like, okay, well, that's let's just, let's just see. But, you know, he just, he didn't get any better. Um, and, it, you know, it's a smaller hospital. They don't see as many urgent cases like like ours. Um, and we had a nurse come in. So that was Friday night that we got admitted. And by Saturday night, we had an older nurse who came in and she, she looked at Wyatt and she picked up his arm and she dropped it and it just fell to the bed with a thud. I mean, he, oh. there was no, there was no holding his arm up. And she was like, she said, you know, something, something is wrong and this is not okay. Um, and I <laughs> I don't even know her name, but I just remember that she was like, I think she was just like a fill in nurse. And she was like, she got a, an oxygen sensor and put on him, And she says, don't let anybody take this off. You know, he needs this, he needs this. And I think she really got the ball rolling. Um, to really try to give Wyatt some diagnosis because, I mean, he just, his his breathing looked bad. I mean, his oxygen stats were still good, but you could tell he was laboring, mm. you know, to physically breathe, and he wasn't really moving anything um, below his neck. And and the problem, I think, was, is that Wyatt could still laugh and smile, and you could still make him happy. Um, Sweet, and he didn't really, he didn't really have a fever. So, um, right. you know, we were, you know, at this point, we were still we were a little, you know, getting panicked, um, you know, really wanting, wanting an answer and wanting to be somewhere that could, uh, provide an answer. And when that hospital exhausted all its, all its resources, they, they transferred us to Greenville. So we left on a Sunday night and they transferred us to, you know, Prisma Children's and, you know, got there. We went into a regular room and, all the big assessments. Um, one of the doctors from the PICU came in and just kind of looked at them. Um, and I just remember <laughs> one of the PICU doctors asking, um, you know, they weren't going to move him to PICU, but one of the doctors asking, he said, you know, is your husband here? I want to make sure your husband's here. Um, and I was like, yeah, he just went, you know, back down to the car. Um, in hindsight, I, I, I see them going, okay, this kid, <laughs> how sick why it was. And just making sure that we weren't, you know, that I I wasn't alone um, in the the mix of it. Um, So the next morning we went down um, for an MRI and that's when things started to rapidly progress into how serious his condition was. Um, We had, uh, we were in line for an MRI. The MRI is run by the, you know, the pediatric intensive care unit doctors because they'll have to put, put the kids to sleep for an MRI because they're not going to be, you know, they're not going to be able to be still right. that long. So this doctor comes in and actually we're lined up in a hallway with all of these people ready to get uh MRIs. I don't know. It must've been like the busiest MRI day ever. <laughs> I remember, it. Like the guy behind us was literally having a seizure and we were waiting for so long. And he's trying to say, the baby can go ahead of me. The baby Sweet. can go ahead of me. Oh. And it just, just, I just, the chaos that was uh that day. But the, the PICU doctor came back and he pulled back the sheet and he looked at Wyatt. And as soon as he looked at him, there was just some panic on his face. And he said, you know, we're, we're going to need to fully sedate him and we're going to I'm going to move him up to PICU. He's going to be transferred from that room and he's going to come back out and pick you. I was like, OK. And he said, you know, I just he doesn't. His breathing is not strong enough for us to just partially sedate him. We're going to have to put him on a vent um, during the MRI. Mm-hmm. And we could tell that there was definitely some some concern with that, and it was going to be right. a longer M- an MRI because they were going to do from you know head spine you know everything. So they told us they told us they were going to take him and to go ahead and move our stuff from one room to the room they were going to move him to to ICU. So we went up to ICU and waited for waited for Wyatt to come back and just sort of you know wondering what was what was going to come down on the, you know, come down next. And he came back. They said they were going to leave him on the vent while they were getting results. Also let him rest just a little bit. Um, they might need to do some other tests. So they were going to keep him on the vent overnight.
0: So does that mean he remains sedated for that period if he's on he the vent? Was, he was. He was sedated.
1: They yeah. kept him under during that time he would start to come to, I think it was probably like a profile type thing, but he would start to come to and, and they would, they would sedate him again, just to keep him. Not that he could have pulled the tubes out, but he could have, he could have turned his neck and gotten upset. They did keep him sedated that evening. That diagnosis came. My family was there. I think my parents were there. Jason's dad was there and his doctor's neurologist came back up and, you know, we had never, this was the first time we had met her. She's just, who happened to be on and got assigned to read his MRI. And she pulled us, uh, Jason and I, into a little room while our parents waited outside and told us that Wyatt had a one in a million autoimmune disease called transverse myelitis, that his body had attacked his spinal cord. And the reason that he wasn't moving wasn't because he was tired. It was because he was paralyzed. She told us that, told us what some treatments were. She was, her name's Dr. Honeycutt. And I I love Dr. Honeycutt. she's so kind and so gentle with us. She didn't, didn't give us the full detail of, of what we were looking at. And I I remember asking her, I said, is there a chance he's going to get better? Is is there a chance he's not going to get better? Mm. And um, she said, well, you know, we're going to hope, but you know, there's, there's no guarantee. There's no cure." So essentially at that moment, we've got a seven month old who is paralyzed from the neck down and no idea if he's ever going to get better. Uh, I do remember, Mm -hmm. um, you know, (laughs) Dr. Honeycutt told us, she said, you know, I have one other patient that has this disorder and, you know, she's doing great. And she walks with braces on her legs. And I just remember Jason lost it. I mean, he just Mm -hmm. lost it at that point because I just I mean, looking, you know, looking back at it. I just I get so tickled at us. That was the worst case scenario in our brain, you know. having sure. to ha- Him having to walk with braces was such a
0: such but a horror. That horrible, was yeah. such a ray of sunshine. Yes, that was that diagnosis. Was,
1: yes, that was her hope. That was right. her hope.
0: But you had had a whole lot of information tossed your way very quickly. After a long period of waiting and wondering and and searching, so I I get fallen to bits and pieces over what the doctor probably thought was, you know, a soft, gentle, hopeful nugget of information. I get that, and I'm curious to know what your first thoughts were. So I've I've been in a room with the doctor, and I've gotten news about a baby, and I. Because I enjoy Gallo's humor, like to go back to those moments and replay. My first thought was a car seat. The person who had our son didn't have the car seat they would need to take him to my house. And suddenly I was super obsessed with someone getting the right kind of car seat to this house two miles away. Or someone was bringing baked ziti and leaving it on our porch. And she was getting babysitters to take care of her children so she could drive across town and and bring us food. And we just had to let her know immediately, right away, before our parents. We just – we had to tell the baked ziti. Abby, the baked ziti could not just sit on the porch. It was about – it was a crisis. Yeah. And I know that it looked – I probably looked like a lunatic, but my brain just was not, like, processing big medical terms or long-term prognoses. It was – getting my kids safely home and not inconveniencing some poor woman who'd made us pasta. Yeah. So where I think, did your brain go in that moment? Jason I fell think, apart.
1: Yeah. And I think that I was just in shock. I was like, this is, it seemed so foreign. Like it, it was not, I, I, I would tell people that it's, you know, you couldn't even imagine it. it. was like the worst thing you could imagine. But I had no idea. I mean, uh, you know, right. who thinks that your child can become no. paralyzed in their sleep? You know, he, he didn't fall. Um, he didn't do, you know, nothing happened.
0: Right. Um, We worry about choking. We worry about so many other things. Yes. And And I'm such
1: a a rule follower. I'm like, I I play the odds. I understand, you know, I, I wasn't worried about the vaccines and this and that. And I, you know, I wanted to make sure that, that we did everything, you know, did everything right. And then, you know, there we still were. And I, I remember that we went back to Wyatt's room and we stood there. And we looked at them, and i I couldn't say anything, and I'm not usually out of loss for words <laughs> and Jason and I, I you know we were probably there for five or ten minutes, but it felt like an hour, and Jason finally says, "You know, we have to tell them, um, and I think that I didn't want to tell anyone because then it made it real, you know, I just I needed it I needed it to not be.
0: And we didn't even know words makes it official. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, I had to get a nurse to write down transverse myelitis on a piece of paper.
0: That's a um, lot of syllables, Abby. And you're not an MD. You came back from that same communications background. I did Our words are English.
1: Yeah. So I was like, I don't, I don't even know what, you know, what this is. And we went out and we told, um, we told our parents and they just, you know, sat there in shock. You know, we didn't, we didn't have, you know, in a lot of diagnoses, you have like a track of what's going to happen, but with right. transverse you myelitis. Have marks. Yes. And, and the doctors have question marks. That's, that's such the problem with, well, any rare diagnosis, but so much with, with transverse myelitis. It's like one third, make a full recovery. One third, make a partial recovery and one third, make no recovery. And there's no rhyme or reason to what happens. So it was a whole lot Mm -hmm. of, I don't know. I don't know. And why it was so little. Um, The only treatment that they did, we started um, some really, really high IV steroids.
0: Mm -hmm. And we
1: we did the IV steroids. We did an IVIG treatment, which is taking somebody else's autoimmune cells, you know, kind of blushing them out and giving Wyatt new ones. Um, Because essentially what happened Mm -hmm. is Wyatt got some sort of virus, his body started attacking it and just something went haywire and it literally just attacked his spinal cord. And, and why it just happened to be from, you know, up into his cervical spine up all, you know, from his neck all the way down to the lower levels of his T, you know, thoracic spinal cord. So he was, you know, most of his spine was inflamed and attacked. And his neurologist said he has a very angry spine, which is not, you know, not something mm. you want to hear.
0: And was it causing him pain at this point?
1: Initially, from what I understand and what people with transverse myelitis tell me is that it is a very sharp burning pain that will happen. And like pins and needles, almost like when you have like if you sat on your hand and it fell asleep or you're Mm -hmm. sleeping and you wake up and it's just that pins and needles. And that was probably why it probably had that pain on that night, that night when he was whimpering.
0: Oh, doesn't. Um, that hurts to think. Yeah,
1: about. and he, you know he couldn't communicate that. By the by, the time, by this time, I don't know that there was any feeling. But that that his no, spine
0: hurt him at all?
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I, at this point, he's already he's already paralyzed and just doesn't have any response to any touch at all. Um, so I don't know what he what he felt at that point or, or what that looked like. And that was one of the things is even. Yeah, I didn't know how to comfort a baby who couldn't feel me touch him.
0: Right.
1: Like, I, I, I don't know. I don't know how to make you feel safe when mm. I don't even know if you feel my arms against you. Mm. Um. So just a lot of, you know, making sure that his blanket like got wrapped around his face and his chin where I knew he could still feel and, mm. you know, rubbing his little head and his cheeks because I, I knew that's what, you know, that's where some comfort would be.
0: And was he himself at, when you when you looked at him? Did he look like Wyatt? I mean, in terms of obviously everything below his cervical spine is asleep, for lack of a better term. Um, did he Did he recognize you? Did he engage when he was awake? A hundred percent. Yeah, He was
1: a hundred percent himself. And I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't say that God, God picked a personality to have this. But Wyatt has a personality suited for the battle that he has been through. And I find that with a lot of parents whose kids have similar diagnosis that they say that about their kid is that just Wyatt just had this personality that was a very much go with the flow that was very much. Well, I'm here, I guess this, I mean, I, I think the boy thought that we had new houses and stuff like, like he just got used to be moving from one hospital to the next hospital to the next therapy center, to the next, whatever. And I, I don't know if he thought where'd my brother and sister go, <laughs> Right. But he just was always so content. I mean, when even when we got released from the hospital and he was on like so much prednisone that from what I understand is the most horrible tasting stuff. Mm-hmm. The boy never you know, other kids had, you know, in G tubes to get their medicine and Wyatt just never acted like he could spit it out. It
0: was, it was pretty much like well. Like <laughs> other think, kids get prednisone for three days for some kind of ear infection and they are yeah. tearing up the walls. Uh -uh.
1: And he is on like so much stuff. I mean, we, like I said, we were, we were in the IC, we were in the PICU in Greenville for two weeks. Um, We did those, the IV steroid treatments. We did the IV IG. We had talked about a plasmapheresis, but they had never done it on someone as small as Wyatt. And so they just decided that they didn't, they didn't feel like they could safely do it. And they felt like he had, he was looking a little bit better and just didn't, they did not think the gain was worth the risk. So Mm well we did not do that um, and we actually discharged from the picu we never stepped down to a regular room um we ended up discharged from from greenville and we had uh, one night at home before we flew to philadelphia uh, to shriners hospital one of the things that i you know found myself doing was searching for you know Inpatient pediatric rehabilitation hospitals. And you thought, hey, you know, I didn't even know those things existed. And there I was in the hospital trying to figure out, you know, where I could take a kid with this, you know, at this point, a spinal cord injury because Wyatt's treated like a spinal cord injury. Mm-hmm. So just, you know, fast forwarding it is, you know, essentially what happened is when Wyatt's spinal cord was, you know, transverse myelitis attacked, it, it ate away the outside coating or the myelin coating of his spinal cord from, you know, T2 to T4 which is kind of, um, you know, upper back level. Wyatt's paralyzed basically from the armpits down. Um, That part of the spinal cord, just the signal can't get through. It kind of goes down and it just gets haywire right there. And so now at this point, you know, all the rehab and everything that we do for Wyatt is treated just, you know, like somebody who's got a spinal cord injury from a car accident. So he went uh, to Shriners Hospital in Philadelphia, which is. My parents actually were from Philadelphia, so that was sort of a comfort is when we when we were looking at places initially, is you know knowing that we had family in Philadelphia, but we were home for a day, and then we flew to Philadelphia. He was that inpatient there for, I want to say, three weeks. We were there and did lots of, you know, he had bracing. We were, he started to use his arms again. His hands were opening well, um, but we just never got that got that return on his legs that, that we were hoping for. And I, when, I, when I think back to those first days, though, in that hospital, one of the things that I just remember so clearly is just praying for God to, you know, heal Wyatt. I wanted him to heal him. I wanted him to be better, but I just had this peace that everything was going to be okay. But I told God that I didn't want peace because peace, right. <laughs> peace to me meant it, it was not going to get better that God, I, I appreciate keep you keep pushing giving... and fighting. Yes. Right. Right. I I appreciate peace. But what I really what I really want you to do is I want you to make my baby better. Backtracking again in this story is that I was a liver donor to a little boy right when I graduated from Clemson. I was a liver donor to a little boy who I had watched in daycare Um, at the church that I grew up at. He needed a liver donor. His mom had donated. He was a healthy all of a sudden, got sick. His mom was a liver donor. That didn't work, and he got sick again. I felt like God told me to donate my liver to him. I knew nothing other than we had the same blood type. And I drove to Charleston, and the next morning I was in surgery wow. to be a liver donor. That's for,
0: incredible
1: for Austin. Um, my daughter is actually named after him, but Austin didn't make it. Mm. Um, he passed away. I donated on St. Patty's Day, and um, he passed away. And again, he passed away on April 10th and my daughter's birthday is April 11th. Mm-hmm. And we had always said that our our first girl or our second child would be named Austin. And and God gave her to us the day after that we lost that Austin. So she's like our our new mercies. But
0: I bet that was beautiful for his family, too. I, I say that we've seen a
1: lot of people pray for miracles and then not come. Mm-hmm. I never had this sense that God didn't owe me anything to fix Wyatt. I didn't think there was a certain number of prayers or a certain number of this. I knew that God doesn't necessarily work the way that I think he should or the way that I want him to, or that makes sense with me. So, I, I, you know, there are some people who might say that that was a lack of faith, but I, I never had this assumption that God was going to, to necessarily heal Wyatt. I knew that God was going to be with us. I knew that God was going to use it to do something beautiful, regardless of what it looked like. Um, But I never had this assumption that Wyatt was going to get better. Um, And I I never had this clear sense that he would. Mm. And the peace that I felt was this, well, I'm going to be with you through this, not I'm going to make it all better. And that was not necessarily something um, that I wanted to hear or even even today, that I still want to hear when I know things are hard. You know, i I want it. I want it to be better instead of necessarily that peace that comes with it.
0: So. so, when we talk to people on this podcast about their stories, very often they're stories that are in the past tense. That obviously, everything in our life shapes us and changes who we are and changes how we handle what comes. But sometimes the stories we share have a clear beginning, middle, and end. I know that what we're talking about right now is why it's beginning. But I also know that this is an ongoing, significant portion of your life. So knowing what you do now, you know, because right now we're talking about the the month after you finally get this shocking um, piece of information y'all had been searching so desperately for. How would you describe that middle part? That coming to terms, the looking for maybe the best cause as you said, there's no roadmap, maybe the best way to treat him while not giving up hope, but also finding peace no matter what the ending was? I know that's there's no one silver bullet way to do that, but looking back with some time under your belt, how would you describe that that middle Stretch of coming to terms, but still pushing forward. You know, I
1: think that we are eight years out, and there are still moments where I find myself coming to terms that it still mm. still doesn't feel all the way all the way the same. Uh, I think that's the thing with a spinal cord injury is that it's there's no end of treatment. It's never it's never better. But I really think in those early days, Jason and I were terrified of not doing enough. Uh, not doing enough for Wyatt of him getting older and looking back and say, why didn't you do this? Or or, why didn't you do that? Um, You know, we, we left um, after we had gone to Shriners, um, Wyatt ended up going back to uh, Kennedy Krieger Institute in Boston in Baltimore. um, That's the international center for spinal cord injury is there. And he spent six weeks there and celebrated his first birthday. And I just, I I got very acquainted with suffering, um, not necessarily my own. But you cannot go into a pediatric spinal cord injury rehab unit and ever ever come out the same after spending you know six weeks with five year olds who are paralyzed from the neck down and vent dependent, um, and watch it, and watching them laugh and smile and getting to know their families and understanding that life looks a whole lot different than I than I ever thought it would. That healing and miracles and all those things look a whole lot different than I thought they would. And I just, I have come to realize, and even in the last couple years, it's realized that I could not earn Wyatt's healing. I could not do enough to make him healed. And I think that's one thing is we just kept, I just wanted to do and I wanted to do, and I wanted to take him and I want to take him and let's see how much therapy we can get. And, you know, I a hundred percent am in grace is not earned. It is given but I didn't always live that way. Mm. Um, And I just, we wanted, like I said, we wanted to do, I wanted, I wanted to make Wyatt better. And there's, you know, uh, you know, you talk about comparison and there's even comparison when you've got a sick kid and you see what other parents are doing and they're moving their child across the country to be close to this center. And, and they're giving up this and they're doing that. And I'm like, I'm doing everything I, I can for Wyatt, but I don't know that moving him across the country is the best for his his mental well being, and finally right. realizing that 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 I can't earn his healing. That that God's not sitting up there waiting for me to do one more thing. That my job is to keep him healthy, um, to make him the best little person that he could be, and to take a take a deep breath. Um, is kind of what what we come to grips with, and what I've come to grips with. And it's almost like a weight is lifted off. That says I'm going to do the very, very best that I can in every every situation for White and give him every opportunity, but there's not some scale or some goal that I've got to chase that's magically gonna make him better. Because if God's gonna heal him, he's gonna heal him. And he is not waiting up there for me to have my seven thousandth prayer and go to this mm-hmm. nine millionth
0: therapy session. That's just not not the way it works. So finding a balance between pushing that mom part of your brain, I would say, because you have a part of your brain that knows grace is not earned. And you have a part that says, but what if I just like never slept? (laughs) What if I just kept pushing and moving and researching and, and doing all the things. So it sounds like finding that balance was really crucial. I'm curious about the balance within your own family. You mentioned that moving cross-country for instance wouldn't be good for Wyatt's overall well-being as a whole boy. How did this affect your other children at home, your marriage, your disrupting your lives in general just the constant the going and the the complications that come with all those question marks you were handed in the hospital. Uh, you
1: know there's always collateral damage when there's a trauma in a family. Uh, there always is, um, you know. Marriage-wise, Jason and I were very, very blessed that we had asked a lot of hard questions early on. Some things that didn't even make sense. That Jason was always saying, "Let's deal with this before it ever gets here." I mean, I, mm. I remember we were de- we were dating, and he said, um, if, "If I have a son, I'm going to name him after me." And if that's a problem, then um, we don't.
0: We don't what? need to be dating. That's I mean, a forward I mean, th- thinker.
1: I mean, I mean, like, I mean, he was very much like if there was a non-negotiable, he was going to talk about Put it, it on and, the table. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, always. So, uh, you know, I pretty much, we knew where each other stood and, and we were very, very blessed that medically, we were both very aggressive. It's, you know, we've run into some families who who are not that way and that some are very timid and scared and are very much wait and see. And, and Jason and I are not. So we were on the same page as far
0: as that went. So that made things. So you have that consensus. yeah Treatment.
1: Yes. Yes. And we, you know, um, we were kind of, you know, we've worked together our whole lives um, and just um. Uh, I knew, you know, we knew what we were doing as far as, as far as that goes. Um, but as far as the other kids, I mean, they, they lost a lot. Um, their, their, their childhood doesn't necessarily look like uh, their friends. I don't, I don't remember a ton of Jay's elementary school years, which is a horrible hmm. thing, um, to say. Trauma it's all will do sudden, that to
0: a brain yeah. and travel. And I mean, he, he
1: was in first grade and then he was in middle school and there was no, there was no little league. There was no, um, no dance and things like that for Austin. There just, there was time to take Wyatt to therapy. Um, and again, at the same time we had my mother-in-law with Alzheimer's so we were still trying to deal with her. I mean, they had to grow up a lot quicker than I would have liked them to. Um, in the middle of all this, Austin was also diagnosed with um, celiac disease and juvenile arthritis. So she's got her own, I mean, her own issues as far as, you know. You those know, she are
0: autoimmune with- illnesses as well, correct? Yes. Is there any link between the two that they know of?
1: So Jason, one time when we were dating, had an autoimmune thing in his eye, which is loosely related to uh, what Wyatt had. So no, no, you know, really no other history in our family. Um, So I don't know. Clearly there is, there is something, um, something there. I I laugh when I talk to, you know, Jay doesn't have kind of anything. And I remember when he was, he was in the fifth or sixth grade and he needed to go to the eye doctor. And uh, we took him to the eye doctor and he got his eyes checked out and he got done. And the guy said, your eyes look great. I don't think you need glasses. I think you just have sensitive eyes because your eyes are so blue. And they finish the exam and Jay jumps up out of the chair and he flings his arms up in the air. And he says, yes, I'm still the only person in the family without a medical history. <laughs> and the doctor was like, the doctor was like, do y'all have significant medical history? And I was like, well, I was like, you could say that. And I just, I get so tickled at, at, at Jay saying that at such a young age, but I see what Austin and Jay and Wyatt have all been exposed to. And I I could have never given them the diversity that they've seen in their life, the compassion that they have for people. Um, You know, one of Wyatt's roommates uh, when he was at KKI two years ago was he was from the Netherlands. He spoke very little English. He was vent dependent. And yet Wyatt and him became the best of buds and they stayed in, a, in the room at night and the nurses had to come, you know, tell them to quit laughing. Uh, <laughs> this is not know. summer
0: camp, boys.
1: Right. Exactly. You've got to be rested so you can do therapy uh, tomorrow. So, I mean, and I've seen them at the Ronald McDonald house, you know, interact with kids that, that don't speak the same language, that are playing with toys with their feet because their arms don't work. I mean, I've watched them play board games. And the child next to them have to pass a, a, a piece of the board game with their toes because they can't use their arms. And the kids just sit there and they don't ask questions and they just they just do.
0: What a gift to not just to them, but to the world. The fact that we as a society are going to have children in our midst who will grow to be adults and have that kind of um, compassion and exposure and desire to include people. I obviously would never wish this diagnosis or this heartache that your family has faced but what a beautiful side effect for for those siblings who I know wouldn't trade their brother for anything uh, and I, I just
1: see that even with with the other siblings that that we've met and the families that we've we've met I just watch these these brothers and sisters just with such such grace and such love and it's it's just the way they know that's all they know They just know to see people Um, and they learn to make a way and they learn, you know, to adapt. And I think so much about how little, how little I knew about the disability community before Wyatt was sick. I mean, I, I mean, I didn't know anybody. None of my friends were in a wheelchair. None of my friend's kids, you know, were wheelchair users. And, And if I did know somebody who was in a wheelchair user, they weren't, they weren't able to propel themselves like Wyatt. You know, I think that mm. part of part of the heartache in the beginning was I, I didn't realize how good life could be. Mm. I wanted I wanted I wanted Wyatt better because I wanted it better and I wanted it to be an easier road. Um, and I think back to, to to what I probably would have said in the beginning and, and what I would say now. And I think I was, I was thinking about this the other day as we come up on the eight year anniversary of it. It is what I would say to somebody is that um, it might not ever get any better. <laughs> and it mm-hmm. is ugly as that sounds is for me to finally get to the point of, it may not ever get any better this side of heaven. And I have got to find a way to live a full and meaningful life right now, the way it is without it getting better, because I have spent so much of my life waiting for some sort of situation to change. You know, I think mm-hmm. about even just, you know, in high school, I can't wait till I get to college or I can't wait till I have a boyfriend or I can't wait till I get married or I can't wait until we have kids and I can't wait until this and I can't wait until that. If I've learned anything from the disability community, it is there is no waiting. It, you've got to live right now, today, no matter what it looks like, because waiting may never come. You may never going to get the thing that you are waiting for. And if you don't, you have lost all this time pining away
0: for it. I know that you have a community of supporters, not just behind you, but behind Wyatt and behind other kids like him. Can you talk about getting to know that community, finding it, and what it means to have people in your corner, in Wyatt's corner, who may never meet him? So I think really
1: uh, the internet can get a bad rap for social media, for all the things that kind of go on with it, but it has become a very small world. Uh, when you have a child with a rare diagnosis and even just a child with a spinal cord injury is just being able to reach out to other families through Facebook groups, through creating community, through the different therapy centers that we've been through. Keeping up with those children as they've grown and to be able to follow and see what their lives look like is just to literally have a sounding board to what that is going to look like um, has been a great help. Um, but there is something to be said for having real friends and real community that you can see and touch and sit next to. And one of the best things for us, for Wyatt and for our family in general, has been Wyatt's uh, wheelchair basketball team. Mm-hmm. And that is in Greenville. He is the Roger C. Peace Roland Tigers. They are, I guess I want to say this is, I mean, their fourth year. And we started with just a handful of kids. And there are 16 kids in Greenville who get together and play wheelchair basketball every Thursday night. And it is, it is the highlight of Wyatt's week. He loves it. He loves those kids. They watch and they can beat and bang. And we've got some kids with similar diagnosis and some kids with different diagnosis, but to be able to have uh, children and coaches that Wyatt can look up to that he can see them succeeding is invaluable. Uh, And it is, it is such an amazing thing. I mean, we were just, we were talking the other day and somehow we were talking about when Wyatt starts to drive, he was thinking about his big brother getting his license over the summer. And he said, well, when I get to drive and how am I going to learn to drive and how are you going to figure out what, what you're doing about that? And I said, I'll tell you what we're going to (laughs) do.
0: I I love the way that's phrased. How are you going to figure out what you're doing about this? Yeah.
1: How are you going to figure out and I said, well, I'll tell you what we're going to do. And he said, what are we going to do? I said, we're just going to see what Hudson does. And we're going to call Miss Brandy right. and we're going to ask her everything that she did. It's somebody else's life. mama's yeah. job. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I was like, listen, we've got some people older than you. So we are good. We will have it figured out by the time that it they will turn. work out the kinks. Right. And it's just such such a good thing to just be able to have someone someone who gets it, who knows what it's what it's like to just have a life that's, calendar is covered with doctor's appointments and when are we going to have this procedure and this surgery is coming up and and to understand that and to to know hey we we've had trouble with this um how did you handle that and even just Wyatt outgrew a piece of equipment he needed a new walker and I could get in the Greek thread in his basketball team and I was like Wyatt outgrew his walker and I knew what you know what size and which, which one it was he needed does anybody have one and got a message back. We have one. she's outgrown it. come get it. I ah, just I can't mm. there's there's nothing that can you can't account for that. that. no no and just so and I love we-
0: the confidence and the assumption. In Wyatt's statement, "How am I going to learn to drive? When am I going to learn to drive? just the the confidence and the hopefulness of, I mean, we've figured out everything else. I play basketball. i I live a a full life. So obviously we're going to figure this one thing out. It's just a matter of how he's got no doubt.
1: I, I I don't sometimes I don't know what he sees in the future. I think when he sees himself grown up, You know, it's almost like, okay, well, you know, when I start walking type thing, when I grow up, I'll be this. But I laugh at his, you know, when they do 100 days of school. And it was like when I'm 100 years old, I will. And he said, um, Mm. when I'm 100 years old, um, I'm going to eat soup and walk with a cane. And I thought, I hope, son. (laughs) I 100% hope that you are walking with a cane when you are 100 years old. You know, that's that's what I hope. But, I
0: love that. Um, so tell me about his life now. What do his physical abilities include as he got older? Was there an assurance that there were no um, intellectual or cognitive effects based on his injuries? And how how did school work for a little boy who's, I mean, our hearts are in our throats when we send a baby into school anyway, um, for the first time. But I know there's probably more layers for what Wyatt needs. Tell me a bit about that, what his, what he can physically do and what his full life looks like today. And then how that school piece comes into things.
1: So I think back and I guess I was a little braver in the beginning than I even (laughs) probably should have been, but I was like, I, I wanted Wyatt to move. I needed, I know he needed to move to get healthy um, and I knew that his sister was going to school, and his brother was going to school, and I was not going to keep him home if I did not have to, so he got sick in may, and when school started back in what late august September, he was going to you know half day preschool with his sister, and he was with kids who um you know luckily wyatt's bir- you know Wyatt's birthday was late, so he was still in the baby room with kids who were learning to walk so Um, When he first went back to school, he was not in a wheelchair. He just kind of crawled around. Um, He learned to do an army crawl and could sit. Mm. And it wasn't um, wasn't that big of a difference. But we didn't have any um, any cognitive problems at all. I mean, I would say, in fact, that Wyatt's speech was more his speech was more advanced because he couldn't get things that he wanted. Um, mm-hmm. And he had a whole lot of doctor talk. I mean, he, he spent a whole lot of time in hospitals right. and there wasn't a doctor who ever talked to him like a baby. So he he spoke very clearly, very early on um, and was able to communicate very well. Um, to, I would even say, you know, ahead of his peers at the time. Um, so that wasn't, you know, wasn't an issue. And we just always did school, always did school. Um, I don't necessarily know. I was I don't know that I was scared. Um, of going to school, I was concerned about those first, you know, IEP type meetings because um, I had right. heard, I had heard horror stories, but I, I will say that our school district has been amazing um, in how they've cared for Wyatt in how they've made adjustments for, you know, him to get the care he needs from the nurse a couple of times a day. He gets therapy at school um, we leave therapy, we leave school early at least once a week to go get therapy. He still goes to, to outside therapy twice a week in the afternoons. Um, and they have just been more than accommodating and you know being home last year was was hard hard for him. Um, you know physically, I saw him lose ability just because there's there's only so much you can roll back and forth inside a house. Sure. Um, you know he needed to be out to move so. The school has been an amazing gift, um, you know, for him. I mean, of course, there are things that I get concerned about. I mean, I, I worry about, um, you know, some of his basic needs and accidents that happen because you have a spinal cord injury and can't, can't control bladder and bowel. Um, right. you know, I, I worry about those things. But I will also say that we have the most amazing school nurse. Um, you know, some people worry about who their kid's teacher is going to be, and I was like, "Who's our school nurse going to be?" That was <laughs> that was my concern, and we have an amazing school nurse who who loves Wyatt and takes care of him just better than better than I could, uh, even at school. So school has been a, a real blessing, a, bl- a real blessing to us. So I have been just thrilled with with that part of of his journey, and I think a lot of it was more fear, um, just from hearing, like I said, hearing horror stories about others and just really opening my hands to understand that, that Wyatt is going to say what he wants. Um, he's able to advocate for himself. And that's one of the things that I really wanted to teach him early on is when we'd go to a doctor and he'd have a question, I'd make him ask it himself. Um, Mm. because I would tell him that, you know, one day mommy won't, you know, one day you're going to be at a doctor by yourself and you're going to have to know how to ask a question. So if he had a question about why do I have to do this procedure? Do I have to do it again? Or can I stop this? I would say, you know, Wyatt has a question before we leave. um, And I would make him ask that, you know, to his doctor. You know, now he's kind of embarrassed and he would mumble it, uh, but he's gotten a lot bolder now. And I think he does that, um, you know, with school and with nurses, hopefully that he'll understand um, if he has a need, um, that he is able to voice it. I want him to always know that, He's not less than anyone. Um, I, his nurse sent me a picture one day when he was at school. He, uh, a little boy asked him um, what was the matter with him or why his legs didn't work and why it just went off into the story. Just starting from the <laughs> beginning. And he's heard us speak at Shriners and do lots of fundraisers for the hospital. And, and he knows it. He knows his story well, and he can explain you know, what happened? And he knows that if somebody says, What's wrong with your legs? He'll say, There's nothing wrong with my legs, you know, but, but this is, you know, why I use a wheelchair or, or you know, why are you in that wheelchair? And if somebody asks him why he was in a wheelchair, he's like, Cause I don't want to be on the floor. You know, he's, <laughs> he's gotten, you know, very snarky with things. And it, it makes me laugh. And I'm, I'm super proud of him. Um, I see little bits of his personality, um, you know, that he, he really, he he chases fun for sure. Um, you know he doesn't necessarily like to talk about the hard stuff, and I know there's stuff that that hurts his feeling and things that break his heart. Um, and I know that that's will get worse before probably it gets better um, mm-hmm. as as we deal into later in life. I mean, I mean, I just even think you know field day coming up in a couple weeks is that that's something on my calendar that I hate. Like I, I hate it. Um, because it points out how much harder things are for Wyatt, but right. we'll we'll do it and we'll get through it, and he's he's looking forward to it. Um yeah, it's even so. You know, tell it's,
0: me what he uses at school in terms of. Um, so he uses a wheelchair. Yes. Is he able to? Is it motorized? Is he able to use his arms and hands? Okay, so Please. we do have full use of arms and hands. So he oh, um, he's he he wears a brace. It's
1: called a TLSO. And it basically, he's, Wyatt is very likely to get scoliosis because his injury level is so high in his um, spinal cord. So basically, if he had a growth spurt, um, his body just, the muscles aren't strong enough to keep his spine straight. And he'll get, he'll just wear out at the end of the day if he's trying to keep his chest straight. Um, you know, his, his occupational therapist always w- would tell me that it's like, If you lift your hands to change a light bulb, it's not a big deal. But if I tell you to stand on a ball and then change a light bulb, suddenly it becomes hard to manipulate your hands because you're worried about your balance. So that's Mm -hmm. the way, why it is if he doesn't have that brace on is is his, you know, it becomes more difficult to use his hands because he's suddenly worried about his balance. So he's got that brace. He's, you know, a manual wheelchair. His desk looks a little bit different. His, um, just a, you know, wider desk that he can roll under. Um, he uses his big sister a lot to carry his bag. Cause he doesn't, <laughs> uh, there, he probably could do a little bit more if he wanted to, but big sister is at school. with By the him, way, that's so. the
0: story of every third child. Everything. Yeah. Yeah. He I mean, could he could probably do a little more. Yeah. His yeah. Sister's
1: there Yeah, exactly. He just throws it at her and, and just kind of goes on. And his school has been real sweet about, um, they give Wyatt, the smallest class size. Um, he is the only child at his school that is a wheelchair user. Um, so he's mm-hmm. the only child with an obvious physical disability, but, um, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't seem to bother him. Um, you know, he's, I'd say we're used to being stared at, um, especially when he was little, 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 you know, a year, a year old in a, in a wheelchair. Um, so he's at the tiniest,
0: cutest wheelchair anyone's ever seen. Listen,
1: it was, it was so tiny. And then uh, the very first one we got was just so...
0: I'm going to need a picture of that. <laughs> Listen,
1: I'll have to send you some. The, the very first, he was maybe a day or two after his first birthday, and he pushed in a wheelchair for the first time at Kennedy Krieger. And I had shared it on my Facebook page, and it just kind of went all over because um, he was just this itty-bitty baby who shouldn't have been doing what he was doing. But he just needed to get around. And, uh, you know, it's the wheelchair at first was scary when we talked about using a wheelchair because we just... We just had this hope that he was going to get better before we ever, ever needed that. Um, But seeing him in the wheelchair changed everything. Um, That independence where, you know, he didn't need us and he could get to things that he wanted. And, you know, it's so funny that, that you hear people and say confined to wheelchairs and you think, oh, gosh, well, that's, you know, I don't think anything about that saying, you know, 15 years ago. And now I understand so clearly why "confined to a wheelchair" is such a horrible saying. Because it's a limiting that, expression. Oh my gosh! But that wheelchair is a gift. I mean, it is. It is not what confines him. Is the wheelchair? Is what is his independence? A hundred percent. What gives him his independence? And what a what a gift it is uh, to have that ability and just so much. So much I didn't know. I mean, it boggles my mind that the Americans with Disability Act was signed while I was alive. Like, I, I just, mm. it, I cannot, I cannot even comprehend that. Um, and I'm just so thankful for people who came before and and made a way for for Wyatt um, to be able
0: awareness to to have this conversation about inclusion and about just making it possible for people to have yeah. a special desk, like yeah, yeah, the ADA yeah. does. Exactly. You said he um, that you reached out to the group text of basketball families um, for a walker. Is that right? Yes. So is he using a walker in certain ways at home? So he has what we have. Um, he wears some braces. He used
1: to have these things mm-hmm. called RGOs, which they would. They were braces that kind of wrapped around your hips and then go all the way down the side of your legs, and they would have a mechanism that would help his legs swing based on how he leaned um now he oh, has cool. yeah they're pretty cool and he started those really early we spent all of our summers um at shriner's hospital we would do a month stay each summer and and he'd spend you know like an hour on a treadmill with these uh, students moving his legs and holding his hips and that then, sounds
0: exhausting yeah
1: it was it was a good bit um you know if you ever want to see people work really hard is if you're ever in a pediatric rehab. I mean, I, kids had four hours of therapy a day. I mean, it was morning therapy. you know, two sessions in the morning, take them back up to get food. take a little bit of nap and get them back down to the end. Like I, I just, they look, they're like Olympic athletes. I swear, just recovering from a spinal cord injury is like nothing you've ever seen before.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but he would spend his summers up there and we finally got where he got some movement back in his hip flexor, which is just the front muscle um, kind of where your hip and your leg connects. So
0: mm-hmm. he
1: figured out how to swing that leg. Um, so he can use, um, they're called coffers and they're the braces. When you think about like the Forrest Gump movie and you think about braces on your legs, they started his thigh and they lock at the knee. He doesn't have any ability to move his knee or his ankle or toes, but they, they will lock at the knee and then they're straight, um, you know, kind of kind of foot is like a 90 degree angle and, put his little shoes on and he can swing his legs and walk, um, walk like that during therapy. Um, he, he's so funny. He's trying to, um, he wants to learn to use like forearm crutches is what he, he wants to use now. Um, you know, and, and people will see him, um, if I put a video and they'll think, Oh, I saw Wyatt walk in, you know, why can't he do that all the time? And Well, he can, You can walk across the room and then we're we're exhausted, Uh, but he has made huge gains. And, you know, what my hope for Wyatt is, is that he'll have the ability, if he ever wants to, to be able to to walk um, at home some, to have the ability to use bracing to stand. I mean, Hmm. you know, long term, my hope is that there's a cure for spinal cord injuries in his lifetime. Sure. Um, but my job is to make his body healthy enough that he can take advantage of that cure. Because if I don't pay attention, if we don't keep all those muscles healthy and somebody makes a cure, then, then his, his muscles are going to have atrophied and it's going to be of no good to him. So we are going to, you know, we fight for that. I do work with um, the Christopher Reeve Foundation. Um, we've done some work with them as well. Um, have a lot bigger view of, um, you know, research for spinal cord injury and, and what's needed for people like Wyatt um, and to understand that, um, you know, to find a cure, you have to fund a cure. And to also understand that, um, you know, it was really easy to say that I don't agree with this or I don't agree with that um, and to think that you could just write things off because maybe you didn't agree with the way research was done but I just really realized that that um, part of loving people well um, is acknowledging their suffering. Um, And I think, um, you know, why it hasn't changed my perspective on or my beliefs as far as, um, you know, I think about stem cell research and, and what people would, would say, about the sanctity of of human life um, hasn't changed that perspective at all, that I don't ever think that life should be created to be destroyed just for medical research. But I do Mm. have a different opinion on how, as Christians, we should manage that conversation, um, that we have to let people know that their life matters just as much as the unborn, because I've been in range with people we just think that maybe their life doesn't matter because people just write them off like somebody else's life, who is has a chance to be whole matters more than theirs. I mean, I've we've gone to we've gone to some symposiums for spinal cord injuries and just seen people who are like I said, vent dependent, quadriplegics who 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 don't have a faith and who have no hope um,
0: mm-hmm.
1: for a cure and they're just begging to be selected for. A clinical trial and when you just talk about why why it's not okay to do research that just doesn't feel like enough to me is that we don't agree mm-hmm. with the way this research is going well what can we do how can we offer an alternative um how do we raise funds and what do we do um to let people know that their their lives count you know Probably a tangent. Right? A tangent you didn't necessarily need. No, but you know
0: I see a lot of parallels to that. With I saw one of your more recent posts, um, and we'll we'll give people the link to Wyatt's Facebook group um, or page, rather, at the in the show notes. But there was a mention, um, I think, about vaccines, and we don't need to get into the discussion. Just the the idea that anyone would bring that up to you as in this is something you brought on yourself for getting or not getting vaccines or that that should even come into the conversation about the health and wholeness and future of a little boy's life. Yeah. Well, I mean, I hate, a, I hate that anyone's ever said that to you. Is what I'm well,
1: saying. well here, uh, here's what we do know is that transverse myelitis can be, it can be a hundred percent an adverse reaction for Very, very rare, sometimes people with a vaccine injury. Yes, it can. It is not Wyatt's reason for his injury. Nothing to do with it. Um, And I 100% will vaccinate my kids because I think we are a a healthier society because of it. And I feel like, um, you know, Wyatt Wyatt has some friends who have um, AFM, which is acute flaccid myelitis. You haven't heard as much about it lately because of COVID. Um, but it is what, what ramped a couple years ago. It runs in a two-year cycle, and yeah. it is a polio-like virus. And I will tell people 100%. The reason we are talking about a polio-like virus and not polio is because somebody came up with a vaccine for polio. Um, mm-hmm. That's the only reason it's a polio-like virus. And we just we've seen a lot of kids' lives turned upside down, and um, we don't take for granted the health that we have. Um, and we've seen a lot of fragile children and understand that sometimes that I am taking care of myself and I am doing something to protect myself. And I am being vaccinated because I care about you and I care about your child. And I want you to know that your life counts and it matters. I don't think, um, I just think why in the world are we working so hard to preserve life if we have to make our kids live in a bubble and they can't go out in public? Like, just Mm. what,
0: what are we fighting for? I get that. I get that. And I, more than anything, even more than science, because I'm, I'm kind of two thirds heart, and also a brain, but like a secondary, like I'm I'm lead with my heart. I'm just that person. Um, It just hurts me that anyone, no matter what they have a read, or believe about vaccines, would find it appropriate to say anything to a mom who's clearly doing everything for her child no matter even if why why it's illness did come from a vaccine injury which I I know it did not but it wouldn't matter it's so unnecessary and unhelpful and unkind that I just want people to hear me when I say if what you I mean I say this often help encourage or hush if if what you say isn't going to be helpful if it's not going to be an encouragement then you know your grandmother probably told you this at some point in your childhood. Yeah. Hush, keep it, keep it to yourself. It's fine. You can think that as hard as you want in your little head. You can text it to your mama. I don't care. Yeah, right. keep, keep it, keep it to yourself. I have just found too people have a different look at it because
1: Wyatt wasn't born that way. Um, I would they would ask as as a baby, like, was he born this way? And I and I would say, well, no, he was born healthy. And then they would give me this. Oh, like this heartbreak look. And I just remember always thinking, well, what if he had been born that way? Like, why, right. why, why was that suddenly, suddenly, okay. Why do you feel like this is more traumatic because he wasn't born this way?
0: Um, and I, that was one of the things that I never quite,
1: <laughs> never quite understood. Why, why, why does that matter? Why do you care if he was and, born this way? And or it what? also
0: doesn't affect their life at all to have mm-hmm. any of that information. Mm-mm. So I do find it, um, I do find it puzzling when when people want to ask questions that in in 30 minutes, when you go into your doctor's appointment and I go into mine, you'll never think of again. So why why would you pry? Why does that seem important right now? I think the best thing anyone could do for any mom in the waiting room is give her an opportunity to brag on her child, whether he's using a wheelchair or vent dependent or climbing a wall like a spider monkey. um, Everybody wants a chance to... Talk about how amazing their individual child is, and I'm sure we could record another hour about Jay and Austin. Oh, that's too. what I was about to tell There's, you. Is their, their story's just different? It always
1: made me so happy when when someone wanted to know about Austin and Jay. You know how mm-hmm. how are how are they doing and and tell me tell me about them um, because they they very much got used to to sort of. Being in the background and I would even tell right. Jay as he got older, I'm like, listen, but I love you so much. And we, we would do a lot of fundraising stuff for for Shriners and for Prisma. We do all the Children's Miracle Network things and yeah. we kind of go to everything. And a lot of times Jay wouldn't want to come. And I I'd, I'd tell him, I said, listen, there's a lot of people who only think I have two kids because because you're not there. And I said, and I just want you right. to know that I am so proud of who you are. And I want you with me anytime that I can have you. But if you don't want to go, you do not have to, you know, I, you yeah. do not have to be part of this. And most of the times he's very much, I, I just prefer not, you know, he's not a, right. he, he's not ever going to be it's my kid, right? He's not going to want to jump on stage and, and talk about anything. Wyatt, I'm gonna roll up, he's going to roll up there and take a, <laughs> take a mic and tell you, tell you all about it. And, and that kind of thing doesn't bother him. And Austin's a little bit, she's a little bit in between. She wants to get up there, but she's a little nervous to do it. Um, but it just, it tickles me. I think about one time we were going to have, oh gosh, one of those floods here after, after one of these hurricanes. And I just think about how different my kids mm. are and how you can raise the kids the same and they come out so different. We were getting ready for this flooding or whatever. And my daughter, Austin, is just in a panic. She has just heard the weather and she is flipping out like, can pop bring a boat over here there's going to be flooding you know what Baby what can we, what 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 can we do and you know jay is very practical like i'm going to have the boots we're fine like i mean gosh i mean like there's life vest in the house i mean how bad is it going to get you know just very much like he's <laughs> not he's not concerned and then Wyatt looks over at me and he goes, "Mom, can you can you find my bathing suit? I mean, if it's going to flood, can we go, sw- can we go swimming? <laughs> and I just can we got, at least make this a party? Right, right. I got so tickled. I'm like, you know, Austin is in a teetotal panic that that everything is going to be taken care of, and, and Jay is just like, well, let me handle it. And then Wyatt's going to have a party, and it just I'm going to enjoy it. I think if it's part, happening. Yes, Austin has some separation anxiety stuff. I think from from us just oh, yeah. spending so much time away from her when she was little. She wants to be close. She still wants to be, yeah. you know, she's 10 and I've never met a kid who wants to be held as much as she still does, oh. but she, she wants to be um, Soak that up. close. Yeah. Yeah. She is. Um, she wants to be held. She will. We went to the movies the other day and I was like, are you trying to climb into my chair? <laughs> what, is, what, is, what is going on here? But uh, I just think that, you know, there's those little things early on that have just shaped their personalities um, Absolutely. That I didn't have any, you know. I, I wish so much that things could have been different for them, but I, I know that that God's using it for part of part of their story as well. Um, and I'm so so proud of how they've managed. They've managed it so well. I, I don't know that I would have managed it as well as they have at, at their age. So proud of, of of how how proud they are of their brother. I really. I have just. Mm. They don't let anybody put him down. They want to, they want to talk about what, what he's overcome. They're super sweet, um, with things like that. So, and even, but Je- why the same way though, he's very, he's very proud of, um, he's very proud of Jay and Austin. I mean, Austin's got to get a shot every two weeks for her arthritis. And, you know, we do that at home and Wyatt's like, whoa, Austin gets a shot that, you know, on a daily basis, she can't eat bread and she gets shot. So in his mind, Austin's got it way worse than he does. So
0: Blessed. at least I get pizza.
1: Hey, I, honestly, this is <laughs> on a daily basis. The fact that she can't eat chocolate chip cookies that everybody else are eating. Like she's got the gluten-free stuff is she's, <laughs> She's a whole lot more miserable on a daily basis and why it is. So I I joke sometimes about that. I'm like, listen, I've got a kid in a wheelchair and I'm looking for the gluten-free menu. And honestly, picking out her food on a daily basis causes me more stress most days than
0: than his wheelchair needs. That's fantastic. And I love that that's his worldview too. That says... That says so much about him. And I would love for people to have the chance to follow him. Where can they find you, find Wyatt, learn more about your family, or just keep tabs on what's happening with all uh, five of you?
1: So on Instagram, it's at Fight Like Wyatt. And then on Facebook, we are Wyatt's Fight Against TM. And then I also wrote a book a couple years ago. This really really early on. Just Um, in
0: all your time between appointments. It's it's so
1: funny. A whole lot of that was written downstairs in the middle of the night at the Ronald McDonald house, um, in Mm -hmm. hindsight. But um, it's called Love Him Anyway, and you can find that on Amazon. But um, I'll tell you where the title came from, because it is the sweetest thing, is that um, when we came home from the hospital to tell Jay what was going on with Wyatt I mean it was as far as we knew we left that morning we were gonna come home and we didn't come home for like four days Wyatt was in the hospital and our our picky nurse was finally like you need to go home you need to talk to the other kids so we came home and like I said Wyatt Jay's first grade at this point point. and we sit down Wyatt sit Jay down on our lap and we're trying to be real sweet and I don't know how I was leading this conversation for some reason but <laughs> but I was and I'm trying to tell him what's going on with Wyatt and that uh, Wyatt's I say spine because Jay's just gone over the skeleton. So we're talking about the skeleton and you know how you learned about the spine and why it doesn't work and he can't move and he's, he's paralyzed. And I'm just trying to be real, real gentle with him. And I don't, I don't give him a lot of, this is going to be what the future looks like. I've always been real careful not to overpromise about a healing with, with the kids about anything. And Jay looks at me and his eyes are just welling up with, with these tears. Um, and he looks at me and he said, is Wyatt ever going to be able to walk? Or is he ever going to get better? And I looked at him and I said, baby, I said, we're going to pray really hard. I said, but we just, we don't know. We just don't know. And he looks back at us and just with the wisdom of an adult, he says, well, we're just going to love him anyway. And I just... It's like, oh, son, you, you, that is what we're going to do. We're going to love him anyway. And I just, I think so much, um, with God that I love him anyway, like regardless of what, um, whether he fixes it or not, you know, God doesn't, God doesn't owe own me fixing Wyatt, but, but there's so many times that, that I'm like, you know what, I, I want him to fix it and I want this to be better. And I want this in my life to turn out and I want him to heal this person, but I'm going to love I'm going to love him anyway. And I think so much about that. that's what God does with us, <laughs> that he looks at us and, and all of our mess and all of our mess. And he says, oh, but I'm going to love you anyway. I'm going to love you anyway. So um, it was such a just, I just love that. Such wisdom from that little, that little guy. And I think so many things that I have have done wrong parenting and messed up and gosh, sometimes their behavior. I'm like, I have totally like dropped the ball on some of this stuff, but I think back to moments like that, and I'm like, I, I got a few things right, or I got really lucky. Something <laughs> is sticking. <laughs> something, something has something has happened correctly somewhere along the line, um, and those are the moments that I, I hope that, <laughs> that when it's all said and done, I'll forget the other stuff, and that's that's what'll stick out is is that heart that that knows that people matter above anything else, just just to love and to care for people.
0: I love that, and I think people are really going to want to be in in uh, in Wyatt's corner and wait for him to roll up with that mic. Oh gosh, he is such a
1: he's such a little fireball. He just cracks me up. I mean, he's he's not shy in any way, shape, or form. And I mean, even I mean, he's at basketball, and he told the coach the other day that he needed to uh, he needed to blow the whistle at practice because Wyatt had a new play he wanted to tell them about, and it was called <laughs> the it was called the blooming flower. Um, and he, he had each person go in a different way that was going to look like a pedal. And I was just like, Oh my gosh, I just don't even, I don't even know. I don't even know where this stuff stuff comes from, but um, it has been, it has been a gift to be able to watch him fight and to, um, to work hard. And uh, I just, I've had a front row seat um, for a miracle that looked a whole lot different than I ever thought it was going to look like. And um, I, I appreciate it um, more than I ever I ever thought I would and I, I wish I wish that it had been easier. I wish that the road looked a whole lot different. I still wish that things were easier. I know we have surgeries coming down the pipe and things that I don't um, I don't want to deal with, but I just really I'm very happy that God has allowed me to see the beauty in the middle of all of the hard. Of all of the hard that he has uh, just kind of given me eyes to see. Um, I don't say that every day and in the middle of, of craziness, it doesn't always feel that way. But when I get a chance to stop and I look at who who my kids are becoming and how far they've come and just had the opportunity to stop and, and celebrate, um, that's just one thing that I tell people early on um, with a kid with a big diagnosis is learn to celebrate little, little things and celebrate often. I mean, gosh, just anything. They smile today if they look at something. If you know, I just you know, when the kids are babies and you go into the hospital and that I mean go into the doctor's appointment and they've got like the chart of all the things that they're supposed to do, and you're like, my mm. kid doesn't measure up to any of those things. You know, that's just the biggest such a comparison thing that gets so hard. And just got to throw that away and go. We are not on the scale, and I am not grading with anybody else's measuring stick. And we're gonna set this. We're gonna set this little baby goal, and boy, we are gonna celebrate like big time when it happens and do it because it's worth it. I mean, you know how hard your kid worked to get there and you know what it took and whether anybody else thinks it a miracle or not, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter.
0: Well, he sounds pretty miraculous, and I'm so thankful that you gave us a window into um, to your life. I know it's not always easy to walk back through the, the hardest parts, but I will make sure in our show notes that people know where they can peek in on Wyatt and get to know a bit more about your family and find your book. Um, and is there anything else that you wanted to share with folks before we go? I think that um, just keep going. Like I just,
1: Mm. you know, when you're, when you're in the thick of it, you can't see tomorrow. And I don't think God ever meant us to, you know, I, I realized Mm. early on in the beginning, like I was worried about how he was going to go to college and how we were going to start school. And, you know, I was worried about so many things. And like, I mean, what's our house going to look like? We can never have a two story house and we can never do this. Um, And I could not bear the weight of the future. I could not do it. Um, and then I realized, you know, God never meant for me to bear the weight of tomorrow. He said, you just worry about today. Um, and that, and, you know, and that's enough, you know, find find joy today right here. Um, and God has been so gracious to us in just living in today. And it doesn't mean it's not scary. And that doesn't mean that when tomorrow gets here, it might not be hard. But I just think that God gives us enough strength for today. And, you know, it's the manna for today. And I want manna yes. to be, I want manna to be for tomorrow, right? And I, it's like, I want to say, God, give me manna, but look, please, can you put it in a storehouse for me, please? <laughs> but, <laughs> the cost but, right. And order. God says, I can put that manna in a storehouse, but you know what happens to it, right? It rots, you know, manna does not last until tomorrow. It's for today only. And just really just living with an open hand and just understanding that there is goodness right here in today. If we just open our eyes to look for it because if I am waiting for goodness tomorrow, it may never come. And I have missed so much for today. I mean, all of a sudden, you know, the kid's five years down the road and you don't, you don't know where it's gone and and how it got there. Um, So I hope that in the middle of that mess that you just say, there's joy somewhere today in this hard stuff and, and just have grace for yourself. Find, find joy in the middle, middle of it all.
0: Well, thank you so much for helping us do that. I've, um, just gotten so many, so many quotable thoughts and I can't wait for, um, for people to do the same when they listen. I appreciate your time so much. I know that y'all have a very busy calendar. Thank you so much. I think my kids have enjoyed getting to stay up late. So they're going
1: to be like, mom, just record another podcast, please.
0: (laughs) Please. Anytime (laughs) they need to watch a movie, you tell them to just give me a call. All right. (laughs) I don't know about you, but perhaps my favorite point in this episode was Abby talking about how Wyatt's wheelchair will never be what confines him. His wheels are his wings. They're his freedom. What an unbelievable way to approach something that the world might view as limiting and to see the many doors it opens up for you. It's definitely challenged me to look at what I consider roadblocks or hurdles in my own life and to apply a different lens. I am so thankful that you are here with us for this episode. We have some special ones coming up. We will be re-releasing April Robeson's incredibly popular episodes, telling the story of her daughter Charlotte, who unfortunately passed away just this week. If you are a fan of April, um, as I'm sure most of us are, You will want to stay tuned. I promise that I will bring you ways to support her family, either financially doing things in honor of Charlotte or just lifting their spirits in some tiny way during this unimaginable heartbreak. April's episode was divided into two and some of our most listened hours. Um, She's a phenomenal mother and Charlotte was a phenomenal girl. So that's a story we look forward to sharing with you again so that you can get to know the family that we're praying for. Thank you for being here for Abby's episode. If you're on Patreon, that's patreon.com slash but not all at once. There's a video up of my visit last week to the friends experience in Atlanta. We are thinking of getting a little group together to go back to Atlanta before it leaves in early September because it was that worth it. So head over to Patreon, shoot me a DM or an email or a comment if you would like to join that crowd. And look for a long-awaited Victoria's Secret Part 2 episode The chattier I am with good friends on podcast episodes as I was with Kristen Watson last week, the harder it is to edit because we just talk over each other and I want our words to make sense to you. So that is coming soon on Patreon. I can't thank you enough for your support. The $3 a month goes so far to provide mics, to send guests little treats as thank yous, to encourage people to participate here and to grow our podcast and the community that follows us so we can give more women a platform just like Abby to share their stories. We will also have a giveaway. Two copies of Abby's books were generously donated to us, and I can't wait to share them with the audience. So stay tuned on Instagram and find me up at notallatonce.com or any old place on social media you see me. I'll talk to you soon. Take good care.